Welcome into the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray, a locally produced program devoted to bringing you a fresh perspective on housing, diving into the issues that matter most. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. And now, Kevin Ray. Welcome into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I am your host. I'm here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for being a part of the Housing Hour for all of these years. We want to thank Mortgage Investors Group, our sponsor. They can be found at MIGonline.com. You can find all of the branches from Memphis to the Tri-Cities and everywhere in between. We are from Clarksville to Chattanooga, anywhere you need us. So please give them a call, 1-800-489-8910. This time of year is my favorite time of year. Mm-hmm. I can actually smell food right now, and that's a that's a true statement because <laughs> they're having their holiday party here at the radio station. That's right. It's an open house, is what it is. But I smell I smell ham. Yes, I smell a variety of things, and so we're we're going down the line in this show. We, we have a, a very interesting guest. It's a, a really interesting story. I don't know that there's a lot of people that know about this. I don't specific- think I, I, the ones I've talked to and told them about our guest, they didn't know the story. Yes. And so um, on the phone with us, we have Mike Allegra. Um, he is an author of a book. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Hi. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Mark. Absolutely. And I want you to do this for me because I've got the book in front of me. It's a children's book. Sarah Gives Thanks. Um, you have done an amazing job. It's a, it's, it's a great book for kids, I would say, of the ages, even as little as one year. I mean, you could read it to them at one. They probably won't <laughs> understand it maybe till five or like six the pictures. or something. Mark is now getting to understand it, and he's it. Well, I'm not I sure. followed the storyline because of the art. <laughs> because of the art. And, and the illustrator is David uh, Gardner, and um, Mike had, had given him a, a lot of uh, – praise and he definitely deserves that so why don't we do this first and foremost mike why don't you give us the thirty thousand foot view of what the book is about and just give us a little bit of an overview and then we'll just organically get into talking about it sure no problem well this story sargis thanks is about sarah josepha hale and uh, she's a woman that uh grew up in the 1800s uh she had a husband and five kids and all of a sudden, her husband died of pneumonia, and she was left with five kids, all under the age of seven. And she had to find a way to uh, uh, make a living, mm. uh, which is not easy to do in the 1820s. There was very few opportunities for women. Right. And as a result, she uh, ended up trying to sell hats at one point. She was also a very gifted writer, so she would send things out to various publications. And uh, when push came to shove... Uh, after after uh, a few years of doing this, she ended up getting an opportunity to be the editor, as she liked to call herself, an editress mm. of a ladies' magazine. Like and it. she ended up turning that ladies' magazine into a national publication, and she became sort of the Oprah Winfrey of the mid-1800s. I love you know, it. She would recommend something like a book or a charity, and then people went out and they just, just handled it. Would you know, they, they have they, it uh, under their seats? The would they have it under their the seats? Charity, you know? And... Uh, one thing she was very focused on was Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, Thanksgiving was very important to her. When her husband died, it was just before the holiday. She lived in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And um, she was there with her little kids, and, and it was that holiday that gave her the strength to move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a woman, 
a single mother alone in the 1820s when there was very few opportunities to make any money as a woman. You know, women couldn't go to college. They couldn't be professionals, really. They, they couldn't really make any money. It was a very scary time for her. Mm-hmm. But the holiday, <clears throat> excuse me, but the holiday gave her strength. It reminded her of what she had, and it gave her the, the push to move on, and she felt that that should be uh, a national holiday. Mm. And she used her magazine to make Thanksgiving a national holiday, to kind of get a grassroots groundswell of support. Uh, Thanksgiving in the 1800s was not national. It was very regional. The pilgrims were in Massachusetts, you know. And so people in the mid-Atlantic states, I'm from New Jersey, people in the mid-Atlantic states didn't really celebrate Thanksgiving. People in the South didn't celebrate Thanksgiving. It was pretty much just a New England holiday. And she was the person that got people to really recognize it as something that could be very important to everyone, regardless of where they were from. The message was too important. I like very much how you mold together both the meaning of Thanksgiving, but also highlighting what is a probably an underappreciated person in American history, I would say. Absolutely. And um, I, yeah, go she, ahead. I didn't know about her before I started writing a Thanksgiving book. Mm. I wanted to write a Thanksgiving book, you know? And I remember uh, reading somewhere that uh, Abraham Lincoln declared uh, a National Day of Thanksgiving in 1863 in the middle of the Civil War, you know? And I was like, oh, that could be a really cool story about Thanksgiving. That'll be neat. I'll research that, see what I come up with. And after looking into it, I realized, oh, Lincoln didn't really have anything to do with it. Mm. It wasn't about Lincoln. Right. It was about Sarah Hale, who was harassing Lincoln and harassing the four presidents prior to Lincoln until someone would listen. Wow. <laughs> and it was uh, fascinating. So I just kind of came up, I discovered Sarah by accident, mm. and I totally geeked out over her, and I couldn't stop <laughs> researching her. Now, the... the, the geeked book, out completely. The nursery rhyme, Mary Had a Little Lamb, that she... I guess she, yeah. tell me a little bit about she, that. She, yeah, she wrote Mary Had a Little Lamb. That's, that's um, I mean, yeah. who doesn't know that, you know? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Now, nobody knows who wrote it, but everybody knows the rhyme. Right, and, right. And, I, and that was really kind of amazing to me, you know, the, uh, what she did. I mean, she, her endorsement is the reason why Vassar College existed. It was the first college for women. Mm-hmm. Uh, without her blessing, her she was... Uh, so influential as a magazine editor um, that her blessing was was necessary for the college's success. Uh, The things she did at a time when women really had no voice uh, was really quite remarkable. Mm -hmm. One of the Um, things... I wouldn't call her a radical at all. Uh, She was very mainstream. She knew how to uh, couch her opinions in very diplomatic, very intelligent and um, uh, measured ways to get middle America, you know, everybody kind of on board. Yeah, and did people back then, I think Mark has a question, did people back then, the, the I mean, obviously you mentioned Oprah, and that is a very good comparison, because, yeah. you know, Oprah used her platform when she had a belief or she had a movement she wanted to believe in or promote, right. You know, she used her platform to do that. And with this magazine that Sarah had, you know, I don't know. I'd love to learn more about the history of the magazine and the distribution and all that. Um, And I think that's remarkable, too, because not everyone 
was able to do that, especially a widow back in mm-hmm. the early, early 1800s. Um, so go ahead, Mark. You had a question. Well, I was going to ask because uh, she seemed to, and I can't remember if this was in the story or some of the history I was reading before this, uh, that she resisted um, talking about the stereotypical dresses and gowns of women's of the fashion yeah. of that area era and uh, really resisted that. So she was way ahead of her time. Mm. Yeah, that, that, that is in the story. That's in the back matter of the story. Okay. Um, but, yeah, that's right. She had a ladies' magazine. And when you think of ladies' magazines today, you know, what do you think of, like, Cosmopolitan or whatever, right? And it's all about fashion. It's all about looking good and all that sort of thing. But Sarah's magazine was about education and exercise, which wow. was uncommon for either sex at that time, you know. Right. Um, uh, physical fitness and, and uh, all, all sorts of... Just, just mind-expanding, uh, you know, educational initiatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a remarkable book. I had the. Uh, uh, it was a remarkable magazine. I had right. the pleasure of reading a lot of her old magazines. I did a lot of uh, research on this book. That's interesting. How does a person that actually has you think about you think about a person in that uh, sort of era, and you think about how it is that you get something published? And yeah. let's face it, it back in that time frame for 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 women to really take that role um right. was frowned upon i wouldn't you know would imagine she was the first female editor of a magazine in america mm. um and she created the most successful magazine in america in the mid-1800s hers was the most widely circulated uh she had people uh for lady books she wrote, she did two magazines she did ladies magazine which came out of Boston. She did that for about 10 years. And then the magazine was bought by a larger uh, company called uh, Gaudi's Lady, Lady Book. Mm-hmm. And she became the editor of that as well. And that was the one that went national. And it was one of those publications that um, uh, everybody was reading. It was like in every house. And if it wasn't in a person's house, it was circulated among sewing circles and church groups and things like that, because it was a, a pretty uh, big magazine, mm. you know. So somebody would buy it, and it would just kind of circulate within a family or within a group, too. So even though the circulation was huge, actually the readership was much larger. Yeah. And uh, she she hosted writers like Edgar Allan Poe. I mean, she, uh, she uh, attracted real talent for her magazine, too. It yeah. was a very unusual type of magazine. We'll continue thinking through that, and I'm going to pick back up when we come back from these messages. We have with us, we're talking about an incredible subject. We have Mike Allegra, who wrote the book Sarah Gives Thanks. We're going to continue this conversation right after these messages. For the rest of my life, I'm thanking the Lord he made you. Thanksgiving Day. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. Again, it's Kevin Ray, your host, with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. This show is provided by Mortgage Investors Group. Thank you guys for joining us. We have on the phone with us Mike Allegra, who is an author um, he has written a book that we are talking about today that you can find a link to where you can purchase it on thehousinghour.com. We'll also be including his website, which is mikeallegra.com. 
Um, and he has other publications as well that you potentially might be interested in, I believe. Is that correct, Mike? Uh, yes. Actually, some stuff is coming out, so I don't have any other children's books yet. Mm-hmm. yet. But okay. they're coming out next year. That's great. Prince, Not So Charming, Once Upon That's a Prank. Right. <laughs> uh, I love the illustration. It appears that was uh, Roy, is it Highness, I think, maybe? Yeah, yeah. It's just- I yeah. used a pen name, yeah. Roy L. Highness, because, you know, about yeah. princes. Ah, I did. I just got that. I'm a little slow, <laughs> slow, Mike. I love it. Well, I love the illustration, and um, I, I like your attitude because I like the way that you look at things, and, and you are a very positive person. And let's step back a moment and talk about, um, again, Sarah and when she, sure. I think, lost her husband, and I think yeah. is what the story is, and, and then when she, you know, was... The, you know the the breadwinner at that point trying to be and yeah. um the the holiday of thanksgiving um in new england those states up north you know they celebrated maybe they had a little bit more of an understanding because of the fact that that's where plymouth rock was that's where a exactly. lot of that's where a lot of it all generated from and thanksgiving for me and for my kids and for everyone that i uh, associate myself with is is really an educational moment more than anything, yes, we give thanks and we're able to understand that there's more to it than, you know, Apple and Amazon and PayPal, but, (laughs) but, but it gives us an opportunity to educate. And I think it's fascinating because Thanksgiving is the reason for the season and we have to understand that. So talk us through a little bit more of how that all came about. I know you did briefly touch on it, but Sarah had a mission. Yeah. Sarah, Sarah, the thing, the thing to really understand about Sarah Hale, I think, is her marriage, which was a very modern marriage in the sense that she and her husband were equal partners. He had a great deal of respect for her intellect. Mm-hmm. Uh, while Sarah couldn't go to college because there were no colleges for women when she was a little girl, mm. Sarah was driven to know everything about everything. Mm-hmm. And so when her older brother, when she was a kid, when her older brother went to college, Dartmouth, she peppered him and harassed him and read his textbooks and, and you know, made, asked him all kinds of questions about what he was studying. So she, in essence, got a college education through her brother. Um, and she also wrote a lot even before, um, before her husband passed away. Uh, he was very encouraging of her writing. He thought that she was a, a heck of a writer, and he was right. I've read a lot of her writing. And he would encourage her to submit things to uh, magazines. Just And it was fun for her. You know, she would just do it, and it was just a sideline. And then after he passed away, this would have been after nine years of marriage, and he died very suddenly. He died of pneumonia. He was a lawyer, and he was traveling. Lawyers had to travel from town to town to kind of try cases. And he was underdressed in a sudden winter storm, and then he died very suddenly. It was incredibly tragic, and she just was not prepared for it. Nobody could have been. And she was left with, with four children, and she was pregnant with her fifth. Oh, my um, And she gave birth to her fifth child six weeks after they buried her husband. So incredibly traumatic, horrible time. It's and, you know, what do you do, you know? She was so devoted to her husband, she vowed she'd never marry again. So it wasn't like she was going to be able to marry her way out of this problem. It just wasn't her style. Mm-hmm. And um, there were really no good careers for women either. So she, anyone could be forgiven for thinking this was hopeless. Anyone. 
Um, and at that table, with her children, heads bowed in prayer, she really seemed at that moment to have that, that eureka mo- moment, that epiphany, that things are really bad, but I have a roof over my head, I have food on my table, and I have these beautiful children with me, and by God, I'm going to support them and raise them. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> she did. She did in spades. <laughs> yes. um, and uh, she, she took the skills she had that she accumulated during her marriage and during her childhood, her, her quest to learn more, and she wrote. Um, first she wrote four magazines, and then she uh, wrote a couple of books. She wrote a book of poetry that sold well, and then she wrote a novel. Uh, and that attracted the attention of a backer in Boston who wanted to start a magazine, uh, a ladies' magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a pastor. And uh, he, pastors back then could not support themselves on their own income, so they would always be the, some sideline, you know. So he thought, oh, I'll try a magazine. And I really loved this woman's novel. It was Northwood, it was called. And I think I'll contact her and see if she might want to, you know, do a magazine with me. Mm-hmm. And so he contacted her, and she's like, yep, sure, I'll do it. And she started this magazine up from the ground. He had no idea how to do a magazine. So he just kind of left it to her to kind of figure it out, and she turned it into something incredibly unique. Mm. It became a, a big hit in Boston, and then then it later then she went to another magazine, and that one went national, and that was just the way it went for her. Let, let's talk um, just before we move on. She to, was driven. Before we she move on to that part. She, Mike, can you she hear me? She followed through on. It was remarkable. Can you hear me, Mike? Yeah. Okay. Um, before Am we I mo- ready now? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. I just want to make okay. sure, I, because I, I don't want to miss this part, because... Okay. You, you you talked about when she and her her brother went to Dartmouth, I think you said, and she well, was, her brother went. She didn't go. Right, no, that's what I said. Your her okay, brother went to Dartmouth, and she was peppering him with questions, and she wanted yeah. to know, you know, and you know, I can't even imagine a life in America where there wasn't a college for women. Of course, mm-hmm. the, but that was the case. Um, yeah. And and you you think about looking back at her life and you look at, at exactly how everything came about, yeah. you know, and, and then people I don't know that they, they know this, um, but the house, her house in 2007, um, you know, I guess I think a fire destroyed it, if I'm not mistaken. That's what I've read here. I, I didn't know that. It's, really? That's I did what, not know that. That's what I've read here. It, it could, of course, this is Wikipedia, but it says... <laughs> Um, but maybe, maybe that's the incorrect, but regardless, there still is, um, some, my point in saying all that is, is that, um, I really appreciate the historical references that you're making because it, it includes the struggles that women had and have even to this day, the inequality yeah. and the inequality that still does exist even to this day and how Sarah, as far fetched as the idea was of starting a magazine, um, this other gentleman, I want to ask you about him because I'm sure he could have potentially been ostracized for going into business, if you will, with this young lady. Did did I parallel that correctly? Because I was thinking about my question as you were saying that. Did was was it a gentleman that she sort of partnered with? Yes, that's correct. And and so so how was that seen? You know, oh, I'm you know here's a widow. You know, it, it was that not something that was unusual for the time as well. It was incredibly unusual. I mean, magazines um, at that time uh, would start and fold. You know, there was 
a lot of things would, would be, be a couple of issues that would come out, and then they'd kind of die, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so there were a lot of failed magazine experiments. Mm-hmm. Um, hers, obviously, was a big success. Uh, there was no real stigma. In my research, I didn't see any particular stigma with her being the editor of the magazine. But it is kind of weird when you think about it. It's like here, here are women's magazines, and all the women's magazines, and, and a lot of those early women's magazines were similar to what you would see today in terms of fashion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, were run by men. So men were writing about women's issues, mm-hmm. uh, which is weird. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, she, you know, she didn't get it. She didn't get why that would be the case. So it was a very easy decision for her to make. And clearly, the women, the intended audience for her magazine responded very, very well. Right. I so think, there yeah. was no real stigma attached to her being uh, an, an editor. I think it was just a matter of, you know, it was very hard to find a woman with the um, uh, assertiveness and the background in education at that time to uh, tackle such a, a daunting task. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you said, you know, uh, there were no colleges for women. Women were supposed to be mothers and wives. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. And, <clears throat> they could when, be spinster teachers before they became mothers and wives, but that was it. When you were when you were young, and I compare myself, I look at myself when I was young, and when I wanted to do something and I had the desire to do it, then what I did was I just I just did what I wanted to do, and and, hmm. and college was a part of that. But like, yeah. just you give the example. How much time is left in this segment? Just about thirty. Thirty seconds. When we get back, we'll we'll dive into a little bit more into sure. just talking through this. And we have two more segments, and I want to I want to then talk about Thanksgiving. I want to talk about what it is today that Sarah helped us all realize through the book that you wrote, and through also her incredible life. We'll continue this conversation right after these messages. Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. Kevin Ray here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. Thank you for joining us. The show is brought to you by Mortgage Investors Group, MIGonline.com. You can find our shows, past shows, current shows on our website, thehousinghour.com. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash thehousinghour at the housing hour on Twitter and just uh, search for Mark Griffith Pinterest. Pinterest <laughs> is where he is. And Mark probably could have written about women's issues back in the 1800s, I would say. Absolutely. He, yeah, because he can write about anything. Um, and that's probably what the thinking, the thinking was. And another thing that, that I know that, that my wife and certainly my mom, who, who owns and runs a business, and many other women who are very successful – um, when they come around to Thanksgiving, they're thankful, I'm sure, for many things. And, and one of the things that needs to be added to all of our thankfulness and our prayers um, is uh, this life that we're learning about. And um, Sarah was an amazing individual and really um, led the way 
uh, in a lot of respects um, to helping us realize uh, that we are all created equal. And, you know, I don't know how, um, you know, you think about Dr. Martin Luther King and, you know, you think about what his um, crusade, maybe crusade is not the right word, but the, the way he went about his um you know, equality adventure and, and Sarah did it obviously a lot differently, but, um, the way that people were treated, especially in, in the times that Sarah lived, um, mm-hmm. were very similar to the way that people of color, uh, African Americans were treated, um, even up into the 1900s. So there's yeah. some similarities there. And, and I think that's something we should all, uh, be very, very mindful of. Hey, I have a question, Mike. Uh, along those same lines of the equality, in your research, did, were you able to determine the type of pay that she received for being an editress? Mm. You know, I did not. And that was something I was really looking for, too. I was curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, she, you know, the interesting thing was uh, it, it certainly was enough, certainly enough to raise five kids. And after uh, they were all grown up and she didn't need to raise kids anymore, she kept doing it, and she did that magazine until she was 90 years old. Wow. That's incredible. 90 years. And first of all, living till 90 in the 1800s yeah. is unheard yeah. of. Yeah. I mean, the average <laughs> I know, age is 65. Everything about her geeked me out. Yeah. That's incredible. <clears throat> now, I will just. I, was just sort of, I always thought I knew history, and yeah. then I started, then I stumbled upon this woman. Yeah. And I was like, how could I have not have heard of her? Yeah. Mark had, you know, Mark, our co our co-host and, here, uh, Mark. The more I learned, the more impressed um, I was. Our co, um, our co-host has a similar story with you know researching a, a subject in history and then uncovering something else, which took <clears> him down another path, and that's very much what happened here. Um, and I want to, as a point of clarification, I had mentioned that the house uh, had burned down, and I was mistaken. Um, it was actually not her home; it was um, the home of. Uh, the Mary that's referenced in the poem that she wrote. So that's what it was in reference to. There still is a statue that commemorates Mary had a little lamb, but I just want to make that point of clarification. And interestingly, um, this is Wikipedia again, but um, it says that this rhyme was the first audio recorded by Thomas Edison on his newly invented uh, phonograph in 1877. that's That's incredible. Yeah. Just yeah. another little tidbit there for us. <laughs> now, why do you think that I did not or Mark or any of us, you know, because in textbooks, you know, you learn about Mary Washington. You learn about I mean, there's a variety of characters that we learn about. Why? Why didn't we learn about Sarah? Yeah. Do you know the, the answer to that question? I can only guess. I, okay. I think it's Good. just where women were in society at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she she was a very strong voice, Sarah, but she wasn't. Um, uh, she wasn't a, a radical. I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say she was radical for her time. I should say. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing radical about say you know somebody you know wanting women to vote you know back then, uh, right now. But back then, that of course would have been very incredibly radical. So I mean, radical in a historical context. Right. She was not a terribly radical person. She right. knew how to couch views in ways that were palatable. Mm-hmm. So while a lot of men, for example, would have said, uh, I don't know why women need college educations, They're just wives and mothers, that's it, you know, she still managed to convince most people 
that women deserved college educations because they were the intellectual equal of men. And uh, they could use those education, educations in their roles, whatever they could be. It's important for people to know because knowledge is important. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how that knowledge is, you know, whether or not this person goes into business or what have you. Well, uh, the fact is that if there's knowledge to be had, people should learn it. Yeah, and you know, I, I was I found something to, interesting. Kind of present that material material to people who would have been resistant to it. I, I find something it, interesting in 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 your in your words about David, because David, yeah. her husband, was a lawyer. And to yeah. my understanding, the Constitution didn't change in 1813. All men are created equally, and the, the the entire Declaration of Independence, the Constitution was the same. So I think that when she married David, I think that that was certainly something that, that catapulted her abilities because a lot of um, husbands in that time discouraged their wives from doing things that might uh, be in line with what Sarah was doing. Absolutely. She had a, uh, <clears throat> as I said earlier, she had a, like, a very modern marriage. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. a, a real partnership, and it was very, very unusual. It's it's hard to find those types of uh, relationships historically. I mean, I think John and Abigail Adams is a pretty good parallel, mm. where they, where uh, John Adams and Abigail Adams really looked at each other as intellectual equals, and they really did um, uh, um, rely on each other intellectually. Mm-hmm. And you see that there with, with Sarah and David, which is, of course, why they were so close and why his death was, was so tragic to her. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but you're, yeah, exactly. I mean, men and women were, were on different power planes back then. There were no real partnerships. It was, okay, I'm the boss and you do what I say. Yeah, and I think, um, too, I, you know, I, I was... Generally, uh, and, and, and let me just also say that yeah, sure. David had lived... Uh, Sarah would not have been uh, an editor of a magazine, right? Um, so, in in uh, so his his death actually, in in many respects, changed the course of history uh, in terms of how we celebrate Thanksgiving, for one thing, mm-hmm. but also uh, in terms of a lot of uh, initiatives that Sarah pursued throughout her life because she pursued a lot of things yeah. besides Thanksgiving. Um, she was very big into um, uh, uh, looking at historical markers. Uh, uh, yes. George Washington's home became a national landmark. She was part of the fundraising drive to make that happen. Mm-hmm. His, his house was falling into decay at that time. Bunker Hill is a national landmark. Uh, again, with education for women in Vassar, mm-hmm. uh, uh, coming, which would have come much later had it not been for Sarah's um, conditioning the population to the idea of women getting college degrees. Uh, so it, it really is remarkable how a single event can, can change history. Maybe not in a, a, a robust, obvious way, but, in a, but still in, in very significant ways. Um, remarkable person, Sarah. Well, and you look at can the, the president. I, I, I'm, I'm crazy about talking about her. I love it. No, you're making me crazy about talking about her. 
Um, does the president make it? I do this when I talk about this lady. It's fine. It's it's conversational, and I appreciate your ability to do that. <laughs> um, the presidents that this came across their desks, talking about where it went and how it was, and there was, I think, four. That just it, it um, I think it was like an annual tradition of ignoring her as as, as you stated it, and I love yeah. the, I love the illustration as well um, that that uh, David did uh, with all of the presidents looking at it, doing sort of different yawns and look. You know, this is sort of what they did. Sarah made a letter. She, she felt very strongly about it. The mailman would carry the mail up, but then finally, one president who was all about equality at least that's what his platform was absolutely he yeah. he read the letter and and took some action talk about that we are very short on time we do have one more segment but but okay. by, and in about a minute give us me start me out well, how did abraham lincoln receive this letter and take action well basically um <clears throat> let's face it the four presidents that preceded lincoln you got taylor Fillmore, Pierce, Buchanan, you know nothing about these guys, and for good reason. They didn't do much. <laughs> Maybe um, if they had taken that letter. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't have the foresight. They didn't have wisdom and, and depth. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm being a little facetious. But, but Maybe not. They, you know, Sarah would send these letters out, and basically she was, as she was sending these letters out to these presidents, she was building this groundswell of support. On the state level, she was getting state governors to declare Thanksgiving a national holiday. So she wasn't just depending on presidents. She was working on each influential person she could find in each state in the union. I love the I love the illustration that David made, and I'm sure that you sort of gave him the creative inspiration with Sarah with all these letters, handing them to this poor mailman, and he's to take these up to the governor of Virginia, Vermont, and so forth. We're going to continue this conversation right after these messages. Stick. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Thank you for coming back into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Wright. Thank you for joining us. Hope everybody's having a Gruden today, and we're continuing this conversation. Uh, really fascinating, I think. It's uh, really good to, I think, step back and you know learn about different aspects of Thanksgiving. Mark did a great job, and I'd highly recommend for people who are interested to learn about uh, what was the letter called that was the covenant, not the covenant, but um, the pilgrim. Oh. Uh, yeah, uh, the Mayflower Compact. Yes, the Mayflower Compact, and that's fascinating. Um, matter of fact, would you mind putting that link to that story up on thehousinghour.com? I'll, I'll do that. Because it's it's just to reference it, because it's well, well before what it is that Sarah did, but because of that event, Sarah was afforded the opportunity to be able to do what she's done and to, to be able to do what she's doing today. This is our last segment, um, and I, I want to take um, the segment in two uh, sort of batches. I want to finish up talking about how she was able to get with Abraham Lincoln and get this to happen. And then in the last couple of few minutes, I wanted to touch on Mike Allegra because you're, you're sort of an interesting individual. I love your website with the 3D glasses. I want to learn what that's all about. I, see that, <laughs> I think that's your son maybe that's there in the picture possibly or... Nephew. Yeah, my son, my, my son is uh, a model for, for some of the blogs. I love it. <laughs> but anyway, let's back up a moment because we have a short period. <laughs> we have a very short period of time. Um, 
Let's pick back up. Abraham Lincoln comes into office. He's got a few other things he's dealing with, obviously, civil war, slavery. But this is an important thing. Talk about the importance of this relationship. Um, well, uh, her, her relationship with Lincoln was, was very similar to that of the, the previous presidents in the sense that it was really primarily through letters. Right. Um, no she text was a, messages. a writer, first and foremost, and she expressed herself through writing best. Um, and so she wrote a letter, and, and, it, and it got to Lincoln, and he, in his wisdom, in the depths of the Civil War, I mean, the Civil War had been going on for two years, it was 1863, and uh, <clears throat> it would still con- it would go on for a couple more years, and he recognized in this particular time of tragedy where the country was torn apart, um, where where brother was literally literally fighting brother, and where every battle that was fought, America lost. That this was something that was really necessary. It was needed to. Even look back in, in, in such horrible, horrible times, horrible for so many millions of people for so many different reasons, uh, to look and say there are still, th- still things out there that you can be grateful for and that you should be grateful for and should reflect upon, uh, whether that is uh, just a, a meal at the table or a roof over your head or, or a family member or even the memory of a family member who is gone, which is very much the way Sarah celebrated her Thanksgiving when her husband died. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to have that part of your life inside you. And let's face it, Lincoln was, Lincoln was a, you know, he, he was a, a very, very wise man. Mm-hmm. And he, he recognized the importance of that. And so he was the one in 1863, he did it in October, uh, the month before, uh, to declare uh, a, thank- a national Thanksgiving holiday, and it's and it's been a national holiday ever since. Uh, it's been recognized by our government as a national holiday ever since. Um, it was officially declared one uh, almost as an afterthought in the 40s. I believe uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt officially signed it as the official national holiday. But we had, ever since 1863, it was it's always been nationally recognized that national feast day. And, now, what um, communications, were you able to ever pin down any response or letter back from Abraham Lincoln by chance? Uh, you know, um... Or just more anecdotal, maybe? Type. No, I, I actually, in, in my notes, and I have, to, I have to burrow into these things, but mm-hmm. yes, the, the, uh, uh, her, her letter to Lincoln... And, and the response are on record. They're out there. Um, and uh, it, it was, what you, as, as you'd imagine, it was, you know, uh, two educated people writing to each other. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, very knowledgeable and, and, and wise people uh, recognizing. In, uh, in the Library of Congress. Of course, Sarah recognized it about 36 years before Lincoln did. In the Library of Congress. year crusade for her. In the, in the Library. <laughs> In the Library of Congress, there's the letter that she wrote to Abraham Lincoln. I'd love yeah. to post that on our website. It's not legible, I'm going to tell you folks, because um, the curse... Now, I say it's not legible. I mean, I can read it probably if mm-hmm. I really took a... But, you know, is the writing of the past. It's very interesting writing. I mean, it was dated uh, September 28th. I think that says 1863, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 
And um, you know what? I read, I read just, I look at the time spent on this letter and it's not a short letter. It's a three page handwritten letter that is maybe front and back. I don't know. But um, to your point, it was obvious through many historical references that this, this young lady, maybe not young lady at the time, I guess maybe she was still, you know, pretty young, but she died. Actually, she wasn't. By yeah, the she time, was 83. Thanksgiving became yeah. a national holiday, she was in her 70s. Yes. And she lived to her 90s. She's been working on this for a long time. <laughs> yeah. So, so what a, just a fascinating story. And I tell you, I want people to, who are listening to go back and do your own research. We're going to have some links on our website. You're going to ha- you have some very interesting tidbits on your um, website as well. This book is absolutely a must. I recommend anyone listening to this and I'm going to get this as a gift for my nephews and my nieces. Because especially my nieces, because she they need to know yeah. that you can do anything in this world. It does not matter whether you're a boy, you're a girl, you're black or you're white, you're Hispanic or you're Asian or you're Indian or whatever it is. You can do anything with your life as long as you have the goal and as long as you have the desire, um, then God can do the rest. And I think that that's really what encompasses the story of Sarah. And I also wanted to just ask you, because I noticed in your picture, you're, you're, you're there at a typewriter at a young age. And you talk about the first thing that you'd ever seen was Sesame street through, through your playpen. And the inspiration was put in you and your sixth grade teacher, you know, commented that you really love to write and you, and, and, is that why you decided to write such an incredible book? Because this young lady had the inspiration from something that really didn't have a lot of, of history because women weren't in that industry. How did you find your inspiration? Surely it wasn't from the cookie monster, although he inspires me. (laughs) The cookie monster can be very inspirational. Yes. But talk a little bit about uh, your life and how you got to that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've been uh, writing for a long time. I've been writing since my, my mid-20s mm-hmm. uh, as a newspaper writer. And uh, for years, I also was a magazine writer. So once I learned about Sarah, I mean, there was a sort of a kinship, like, oh, a fellow magazine editor, how mm. cool. Um, and so I've, I've been writing nonfiction stories for most of my life. Um, and so when her story came to my attention, I was just I was just gobsmacked by it, mm-hmm. and I was like, "This deserves deserves as much publicity as it could get." Uh, she's just too cool, mm-hmm. and uh, and so you know you just kind of dig in and you, you you learn more, and 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 she didn't disappoint. You know, it was like the the deeper I got in, the more I felt this was necessary and important, and I it became a passion for a while, you know, just me kind of just digging into the old magazines that she uh, edited and wrote most of the content for, and reading those stories and seeing how uh, she grew, not only as, uh, not only in terms of how she managed to get her messages out, but also how she grew as a writer and how she grew as an editor, because you could see that over time in the magazines too. And so, she she was just remarkable, and mm-hmm. and I and I'm I could not be more grateful that this book got published. Um, and uh, and you mentioned the illustrations before, and I I cannot begin to tell you 
how awesome these illustrations are. They are incredible. David Gardner is one of the most awesome people, too. He's, uh, I was telling Mark this uh, earlier. And uh, it's just, just remarkable. Yeah. Um, it tells he, the story. Visualize this story in a way that I kind of wished I could have visualized it. Mm, I, I mean, <laughs> a couple of that um, stick out so to me. A couple just, that stick out to me in the book. Yes, absolutely. We really want to. I'm glad you 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 enjoyed it. Yes, like Sarah's story. I hope uh, more people learn about it. If we can, anything we can do to do that. A couple of the illustrations is him is her holding the baby, looking out the window, and then her inside cleaning the house with just the um, stove oven lighting it we're we're out of time um but it's been a true honor mike to get to know you a little bit and we'd love to have you back when you do post this new book and learn more about that but this is the end of the housing hour for today happy thanksgiving to all and thank you again and tell david we'd love to have him on the show some point too oh i'll tell him and thank you so much yes sir we'll see you next time right here on the housing hour That's the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray for today. Join Kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and why not you need to know, so come here to find out. Also, check us out at thehousinghour.com. This show is presented by Mortgage Investors Group.